0: Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I didn't notice you were there. I was too busy thinking about my upcoming trip to the beach. The sun, the sand, all the great food. Uh, I was daydreaming. Hello, everyone. fact Welcome to Word with Michael David Clay. Yes, you caught me daydreaming. But who doesn't? Or if you don't, maybe that's not such a good thing. Daydreaming, Psychology Today, April of 2022. Far from a form of procrastination, an indulgence in fantasy, or a sign of an idle mind, daydreaming has been shown to deliver real world benefits. There are probably times during the day when your mind wonders and spends a few minutes imagining things you know are not real. Should that worry you? There is some evidence that mind wandering hinders reading comprehension and performance on aptitude tests. Such consequences, however, must be weighed against growing evidence that mind wandering also significantly benefits core psychological and emotional processes like autobiographical planning and creative problem-solving. It seems that most of us are fully aware that we concentrate less when we daydream, but that this is a price we're willing to pay. In a situation where I don't need to concentrate, I'm happy to let my attention drift. I might even enjoy a mildly subversive thrill as my thoughts flutter away. We plan our life in daydreams, and while the future we imagine might be overly optimistic, the practice is still productive and forward-looking. Even better, by releasing us from the pesky constraints of reality, daydreams allow us to think more creatively about the problems of today and the possibilities of tomorrow. This facilitates imagination, problem-solving, And the ability to reach conclusions our rational minds might never permit if we were concentrating fully. Brain scan studies have found that, contrary to expectations, our brains are more active when our minds wander than when we are focused on routine tasks. It had previously been thought that the only part of the brain active during daydreams was the default network, which is associated with low-level routine mental acuity. This research, however, revealed that the brain's executive network concerned with complex high-level problem-solving is also activated when we daydream. Far from idle, then, our minds are actually hyperactive when they drift away. Such findings suggest increasing the value we place on daydreaming. We might lose focus on the task we set out to do, but that may just be the brain's way of telling us it has more important things to think about. Relationships, goals, or valuable general reflection. We could even benefit by consciously craving out some time, or excuse me, carving out some time and space to allow our mind to wonder and see where it takes us. Daydreaming. Far from a form of procrastination and indulgence in fantasy or a sign of an idle mind, daydreaming has been shown to deliver real-world benefits. This article was by Brendan Kelly, MD, PhD, again Psychology Today, April 2022. So daydreaming... Is it good? Is it bad? Is it even possible to put it in one or the other category? Uh, Probably like most things in life. It's neither exclusively good or exclusively bad. There's probably some liabilities, as the article pointed out, especially when you need to concentrate. Maybe daydream then is not only uh, something that is uh, maladaptive, doesn't help us, disadvantageous. But maybe it's a way of coping with stress. The article really doesn't point that out, but you could probably speculate. Uh, When we're really stressed out, we really need to somehow divert our attention so we might get some rest. It's kind of like mindfulness, except it's the body's natural way of doing that. And with that, maybe daydreaming also allows us to focus some attention in a non-direct way. Uh, we in psychology love to always talk about conscious, subconscious sort of realms of human operation. Conscious are the ones that are more along the lines of our awareness. I don't know that that's necessarily superficial, but it seems to suggest, though, that it's more kind of shallow. (laughs) The deeper processes, the subconscious material uh, is maybe... uh, not only less obvious, superficial, shallow, but maybe it does attend to some of the more important operations. Uh, Concentration can be advantageous, but it can also be preoccupying. It can focus your attention or focusing your attention so much on a particular task kind of disallows you to think creatively it eliminates all the other extraneous sort of thoughts, those random sort of thoughts that might be part of the creative process or creativity by pinpointing, so to speak, not only your awareness, your conscious operations, your attention, uh, but it could gobble up all of the (laughs) random access memory. You may not be able to either think creatively, randomly uh, brainstorm, uh, but you may also fail to remember things quite so well because you're so preoccupied. Certainly most of us in the business, psychological counseling, would say that rumination, <clears throat> as in worry, would probably be a sign of, or at least a, if not the sign, a sign, early sign, maybe not so bad, progressively more and more. Is a sign of pathology. Uh, something's not right. It's actually a sign of anxiety. Uh, we're becoming hyper vigilant. And generally speaking, <laughs> out of those type of operations—mental, uh, cognitive, bodily operations—we uh, really aren't very creative. And certainly, with creativity, there's also the dimension of problem solving. So, daydreaming may be the body's natural way to facilitate problem-solving, especially if you're feeling somewhat stressed out or overloaded at the time. Daydreaming, too, is probably not exactly dreaming, but there's probably also no coincidence that we've come to describe them both in terms of dreams. One happens at night, one happens during the day, but it's quite possible similar operations take take place at night, during the stages of sleep, we know that there is such a stage we call dream sleep, which does exactly those things that I spoke of earlier. And uh, with ourselves at that point being asleep, we have all but shut down the conscious mind, and uh, then it's freeform. <laughs> which, what could be more creative than freeforming? or flowing, or again, just uh, unconditional, unrestrained creativity, uh, brainstorming. You don't want to build your house on that. You don't want to build your house on a daydream more than you want to build your house on a the foundation, that is, of night dreaming. But it is an important part of processing. And again, even as we work through or the stages that we typically are aware of when it comes to overcoming Uh, some sort of problem or difficulty, there's a certain element of appreciation. (laughs) You need to do something, which creates motive. Uh, But after the motive is established that something needs to be done, there's an emotional reaction. But you've got to somehow escape the emotional reaction, (laughs) at least long enough, or partition out some dimension of either time or space or with that some energy to focus on brainstorming or you're not going to solve the problem. If you're in hypervigilant mode, if the sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, the adrenaline is constantly on. Then the parasympathetic, where serotonin, dopamine, and other neurotransmitters are on that side of the homeostatic response, uh, don't get a chance to work. But that's the side of the response, the bodily response of thoughts and thinking and reasoning and rationality which do hopefully win out, not only in terms of calming the system down, but in calming the system down, turning off the fight or flight at least enough, not to lose motive, but at least enough to again carve out some space to process, to think through. That really is what we want if we want to solve a problem. We need to be creative. We need to understand that's where those kind of solutions come from. Basically, too, that's sort of what happens in psychological terms psychological counseling terms, psychotherapy terms, when folks come see us. They've usually gotten stuck somehow, and maybe in some ways they've not been able to enter into those stages of not dreaming or daydreaming exclusively, uh, although that would be a first sign. Again, lack of sleep, inability to dream. Uh, or someone who is lacking then in this ability to either daydream for the purposes of problem solving, as I've adaptively so, as I've tried to set it up in today's podcast. Those are all signs, though, that the anxiety is winning. Too much norepinephrine and adrenaline. And not only will that create anxiety, but long term, that does all sorts of bad things to your body, include other mental health concerns arise, such as depression, Uh, You can have even psychoses, which are hallucinations, uh, delusional thought, paranoia, uh, all as a result, though, of too much of the norepinephrine and adrenaline or the body's losing that primary balancing act, the homeostatic response uh, of between turning on, as with the hypervigilance, norepinephrine, adrenaline, the synthetic nervous system when some need arises, some threat, sometimes greater, sometimes lesser, all tied to survival, life or death. I mean, it's real basic stuff. But also then taking time and moments, once that's all secured, to be able to think about, to be creative, to come up with better solutions, to be more elegant. Uh, There is an efficacy dimension, be efficient. But that's what we do with psychotherapy. Folks come in and they've gotten caught up. They're not processing well. They're hung up possibly and probably most likely, most often, it has begun with too much, too strong, too long of an emotional fight or flight reaction. Uh, sympathetic nervous system operation. The balance, if you call it that, it's really not even balance. You should lean more toward the parasympathetic like the majority of the time. I don't know the exact distribution or ratio, but I'm thinking you can hit 70%. Of that, the parasympathetic, the relaxation, the creative, the sleeping, the eating, all the good things, and maybe 30, maybe even less. Maybe you want 90% the parasympathetic and 10% the sympathetic. Maybe even less. But you get the idea. Uh, I don't know that anybody has necessarily studied that. But we do know when the sympathetic nervous system predominates, bad things happen. But when we see folks, it's usually... In terms of run-up to our seeing them that's been going on for far too long I want to take a moment remind <laughs> you our listeners you're listening to word with Michael David Clay so what I want to do though as a psychotherapist is I want to slow that down I want to somehow turn that off I don't prescribe medicine because my doctorate is not in medicine It's in counseling psychology. But I am not aversive to medicine. Medicine can do that. Most antidepressant medications uh, predominate in terms of the most frequently most often used and the ones that predominate, they're they're more of, uh, tend to be the serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Serotonin, again, parasympathetic operations. It turns off the sympathetic or at least suppresses the sympathetic operations uh, just by that homeostatic response. And with that, I might refer somebody (laughs) or at least bring to their conscious awareness the possibility that medicine could help you biologically, biochemically. But I'm also very interested, because this is where I do my work, (laughs) in the understanding, well, how long has this been going on? Where's the stress in this? Uh, I want to get to the ground zero where it all started, but I may have to go through a lot of, again, additional sorts of complications. Uh, This stress led to this stress led to this stress because all along the way I didn't or I've lost my ability as if I'm the patient to function like I needed to. I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. My relationships are falling apart. Maybe I've turned to some sort of substance use to aid in that process of relaxing. I can't relax. I can't shut my brain down. Uh, I am (laughs) irritable, angry. I might be a little hypomanic. I might be now triggered into some manic episode. I may now be feeling depressed. It's complicated. One thing leads to the other. And with that, then we have to unpack it and sort it out. But once that begins to happen, what I'm really trying to do is facilitate that person getting back into a mode of problem solving, more parasympathetic operations. And I suppose getting back to, hopefully we could, uh, today's topic, the article uh, in Psychology Today, uh, April of 2022, Daydreaming, uh, I want them (laughs) to get to that place where they don't need me to do that. Now again, dreaming and daydreaming are not necessarily the highest order or at least the most directed order, but they might be the highest order in the sense of telling us that that part of the brain is operational. So I'm going to put a little bit of weight on it, not only for the sake of the subject that we're going over today on the podcast, but maybe in terms of the psychological counseling experience, that's what we do. <laughs> we, we brainstorm, but a, that may be another word for daydreaming. We think of possibilities, and we do that in unconditional, don't judge it sort of ways. Well, maybe we could try this. Maybe try, no, 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 no. First reaction response, well, why not? And then with a bit of persuasion, certainly support, encouragement, I might get them to try something a little different. Not only medication, a lot of people, believe it or not, are aversive to using medicines. They don't like the idea of something else controlling them, and I'm probably inclined at that point to say, well, this has got control of you, so let's try this. But with that, we come up with possible solutions. And then with that, we try to come up with plans. Uh, Create, or at least not create so much. Identify where the true motive is. Don't let fight or flight be the only motive. It's an alarm that goes off, lets you know something needs to be done. But let's channel and direct that in some sort of positive way, optimistic way, forward thinking sort of way. Let's mix it with some mindfulness maybe if you're not doing that naturally. Let's mix it with some mindfulness so we can get some of this going, uh, energy-wise, toward implementing, Uh, (laughs) simply telling people to be with fun people. Uh, Most often when you're feeling miserable, and you're depressed, and you're anxious, and then all that other stuff, and then maybe with that, that specific hypervigilance slash paranoia dimension or a symptom sort of becomes emergent you want to stay home You <laughs> to be with people people are a hassle and true people have a bit of responsibility that goes along with it uh, for the uh, being if it's you you have to be somewhat responsible for them they're intrusive at times but they're good for you uh, let them take you away go to a movie read a book Do mindfulness exercises. Uh, Again, guided imagery. You know, when I started the podcast, I was kind of doing that guided imagery thing. I was thinking about the beach. I didn't intention myself to. My mind had drifted to that, hypothetically. But at the same time, that's really the message. We can, if we understand and know what we need to do, and with the help of a psychotherapist, a psychological counselor, directing that, We can help you to get your mind off of all of the things that are otherwise now that source of that rumination It could be even somewhat phobic. It may have nothing to do with what you're worried about. (laughs) Oftentimes, that's one of those tricks the brain does as well, or the mind does as well psychologically. It may distract you. It may make you worried about things that will never happen which seems elegant because they'll never happen if you worry about those. It'll take your mind off the things that you really have to worry about or that could happen, but that's the problem. It's counterintuitive because the things that really are happening or could have a higher risk of happening, those are the things you really do need to attend to. And I can assist possibly with person's understanding starting to kind of get out of that a bit. That too sounds counterintuitive, but it frees the system up. It's kind of the same stuff as EMDR, which is an acronym. But what it's really intention to do, anybody who maybe is listening right now is familiar with it. It's a psychological intervention. But it's all got to do with the brain's wiring and the ability, if you just can kind of dislodge the brain from these kind of ruminative patterns, you can start to reestablish creativity and the processing of that appropriately and then moving into the more rational reason and turning off the norepinephrine and adrenaline. All of that is really 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 important. And with that then you can do that in my office. <laughs> when, I come, when you come see me or when I see you. When you come in and I see you. Uh, so it's not without direction but that is really what the natural process is we have emotions we have to overcome the primary ones of threat we get into transitioning those at least retaining the energy that that brings by kind of translating that or transitioning that into a more positive sort of direction well I've got to do something but you know we salt it a bit with optimism hope or there's a chance I can come up with something uh better a solution to this problem a change of life Uh, do something different with myself, reinvent myself. There's all sorts of different ways of looking at that and levels of doing that, from minor to more major overhauls. But my job (laughs) is to help you do that. And with that, then sometimes I can just kind of free that up a bit by doing something that does seem so counterintuitive as to go have fun. <laughs> It'll help. Take a break. Don't think so much about it. I mean, these are, these are not, uh, as they say, uh, brain surgeon sorts of recommendations. Uh, These are just kind of common sense. But but unfortunately, that's what happens when you you enter into too much of this type of worry and apprehension and and all of this gets out of whack. You start to lose that common sense dimension. So really, in some ways, what we're saying is is that daydreaming and dreams are your way, the body's way (laughs) of being a psychotherapist, of helping you. You have to understand it in that term, and you know again, it's very hard to change something that's become somewhat either habitual or there's a pattern that's emergent, or as with this progressive dis- dimension of moving from anxiety to, to more difficult or uh, to treat that is, or more disruptive, or with the progression of kind of a d- disease model, this represents it getting worse and worse and worse more and more complications and complexities, and it affects your whole body. That's how we work. We're holistic. Uh, The idea is that you can't really separate the psychological from the physical. It's grounded, that is, the psychological in physiology, but that's what I was trying to say about the EMDR. It's a physical sort of manifestation, but it has psychological implications. Everything does. It's all integrative. It's all holistic. But... If you can do this as in the context of self-care, it's great. So is it good or is it bad? It's very good for you. And it has psychological purposes because it helps us deal with reality. Now, there's always room for escapism. But even in our escapism, we tend to thematically kind of become drawn to certain, I don't know, thoughts, considerations, activities, even in our escaping, that build up our courage, uh, that show us things can actually work out, can, again, turn off all the norepinephrine and adrenaline for a moment. Uh, Yeah, you have to come back to reality. You can't live in a fantasy world, but what it is is that we don't want to live in a fantasy world, but we don't want to eliminate that if it means it gives us a break. And really, in some ways, that's exactly what we need. We need to step back and step away, get that break, maybe shift the perspective. Possibly that's another way to describe what uh, the article spoke of and what I'm speaking to. But daydreaming seems kind of unimportant and insignificant, but it can be hugely important and hugely significant if you put it within this context or if you can appreciate what it represents. It may be, again, even more elegant and efficacious than a psychotherapist. It can capture subconscious material which are more thematic. Uh, It's not reality-based, but you don't want it to be. But you do want it to be, in that sense, much of the superficial or all the detail stuff. What you do want it to be though for the sake of again problem solving, brainstorming, uh, thinking outside the box, it needs to be thematic. But what's more thematic than you win? Hopefully your dreams and your daydreams are good. Hopefully your dreams and daydreams represent some element of optimism something different than the stress it's an alternative world or universe you can go to just always bring what you take from that world back into reality and then there's your balance or your mixing and again I would love nothing more once more I'd love nothing greater than that we could all live in a world that's safe and secure and there's no threat and, you know, then we wouldn't have to contend with, but that's really not the world we live in. The natural element isn't that way and even in terms of our best attempts to make our societies, our cultures that way, it doesn't happen. So, getting back to psychology today, April 22, Brendan Kelly, MD, PhD, daydreaming. Far from a form of procrastination and indulgence in fantasy or a sign of an idle mind, daydreaming has been shown to deliver real-world benefits. I would agree completely, especially if you put it within the context of our discussion today on Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. But if as much that has been helpful to you, let it also encourage you. If you do need some help now and then, reaching out to others such as myself or individuals who do that type of clinical work, uh, don't think it a stigma. Just understand it's a symptom. Uh, If there's very few other means or methods left to you to experiment with or employ to try to kind of resolve this on your own? Uh, Why not allow somebody who knows about it, understands it a bit more, evidence-based, empirically based, -based, (laughs) research-based, trained, educated, licensed, and certified, and try to help you, help you. There's no better place to go to. And don't think it bad if we do what we hopefully do on the podcast, grounded in some common sense. It doesn't have to be so high-minded. It's not, again, brain surgery or, should I say, rocket science. But it's of the same root. It's all science-based. It's foundationally itself very, very sound. And we would not do should not do, would be never intention to do anything but help based on what we know to be helpful. So again, you're listening to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. Uh, Appreciate your uh, listening today and, and hopefully you found even in the common sense sort of approach that we take on the podcast some benefit from this. And with that thought in mind, uh, I would like to invite you back to our next podcast, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, share a a bit more uh, ways to translate some of the great things that we have come to and discovered in psychological sort of context to your everyday life and living. So again, I want to thank you for joining us today. We invite you back for our next podcast, and as always, wish you both... (laughs) Good health as well as good mental health.